Hi, I'm Nana. And I'm Bonquillo, and this is African.American. This is a show where we take a closer look at a subset of the African diaspora, the children of African immigrants growing up in America. We call ourselves African.Americans out of respect for the fact that the hyphen between the two words denotes a particular community, history, and culture. This show is going to take a look at how they overlap, intersect, and at times don't touch at all. So, why this show and why now? This show was born from several WhatsApp conversations about our experiences in the United States. Most are aware that conversations about blackness aren't as nuanced as they should or could be. We want to change that a little and create a space where African.Americans can complicate the landscape. We plan to talk about a variety of issues on this podcast, from serious themes to more jovial ones and everything in between. In this episode, we continue our conversation with our fellow African.American Josh. In our previous episode, episode 7, Josh shared some of his experiences as an LGBTQ identifying person with an extended African family with us. If you have yet to listen to episode 7 and want to learn more about Josh, don't spoil it for yourself, folks. Stop now. Listen to episode 7 and come back to this episode. Whichever road you decide to take, enjoy. Now that you are an adult, I guess it's like a two-part question, just in terms of, so like one, you finally acknowledge yourself or perhaps get the the vocabulary to understand that you are LGBTQ uh, as a young adult, I'm going to assume in like high school, college, Um, but then how does your understanding of, one, how does your understanding of what the African community thinks about the LGBTQ community, how does that change or evolve as you get more exposure to people who are actually from that community? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you understand yourself better, how does that affect the way that you choose to interact with the African community? Like you talked mm-hmm. earlier about like how you introduce yourself. If you were in a like African Students Association, would the fact that you are a queer man um, of color or queer, queer brown man be the moniker that you use or be like the description that you give to people as you introduce yourself or did you mm. kind of learn to step back and be like no I'm just Josh Josh mm. me too yeah, that's all you need to know <laughs> I, I remember at an accepted weekend for my alma mater being introduced to a few of what the college I attended called affinity groups and among those in attendance for what was really a multicultural scholars weekend paying a kind of reference to a group called the multicultural scholars program at the college. It was mainly students of color and first generation college students who would be invited to this weekend event after being admitted. And in that context, we were introduced to the black students league among several groups and they, the group's presidents and vice presidents introduced themselves, talked briefly about their activities and what, when they came into existence. Most of them had come into existence in the 80s or 90s, so they had a, a kind of lineage or history to them. And after the general meet and greet, the groups invited people interested to come and attend a brief meeting. And I remember going to the Black Students League 
event and when we were asked to introduce ourselves, we were asked to talk about where we traveled from and uh, whether or not we'd already decided on attending the college and then anything else about ourselves. They're not a fun fact, but like anything else you want to say about yourself. And at this point in my life, I was not yet able to grapple with and accept my own sense of identity as a queer identified or gay identified person at that time. So it wasn't something that I would have led with. Mm -hmm. So I remember going around the room, maybe 15 of us attended and there was a particular person who identified herself as a black lesbian and that noticeably the current students who were the the advisory board or leadership board of the group discomfort and I remember finding that incongruous with the other talks during the weekend about how welcoming of a college community this was to people from all identity groups and backgrounds including LGBTQ identified folks. So after the intros and meet and greets and silly icebreakers, there were groups of people who hung out and I kind of stuck in a group that was with this woman who identified herself as a black lesbian. And I remember there being sly homophobic comments made by some of the current students there. And I remember thinking, this group is not for me, even though at the time I couldn't have said reason this group isn't for me is because I might also be someone who's non-norm straight and being a part of this group was not going to be a safe and welcoming place for me as much as it didn't seem like it would be for this person who I met and I didn't talk to her very much said hello asked her if she decided on going to the college and she ultimately decided not to and I don't know how much of deciding not this incident but i would read that as one contributing factor to this is not a place that's welcoming me in the same way that i felt personally not knowing how i identified and not i think having a kind of confidence to share that in this kind of environment i couldn't have done that and i really think back on that experience as a moment of admiring this person and also in choosing to attend this college, knowing I'm not going to go back. And I didn't, I never attended a meeting. I learned after I went to the college in my first semester that there was a, oh gosh, I'm gonna forget the name of the, the group, but it was, it was specifically for African men. I remember speaking with someone who told me about the group and asked me if I would attend who also, like, didn't know my ethnic background, so was like, yo, are you Latino? Like, I don't know, like, you could attend if you want to. <laughs> um, and also learning, at that point, I think it was, it was the start of my second year, so this person knew that I'm a, I'm a gay-identified person at that point, and he was like, you mean, we don't want to exclude you, but, like, it's also, it's not for anyone you know, it's not like anyone or fairies and I was like that first of all that reference is such wow and these are college educated people right yes these are people Uh, in college I remember thinking okay so this is really for a a kind of machismo slash straight male black identified person I don't even know what the group did because they weren't advertised at the time that I was being told about it I learned that it was later like a real support group that felt like one of the true safer 
environments for black men on campus from African and African American backgrounds to have like student activities funding to pay for coffee and snacks and hanging out and supporting each other. And I think that's valuable. And I knew it wasn't for me because the person at least framing it for me made it seem like it really wasn't for me at the same time. They were like, well, you want it, but it really isn't, isn't meant for you. So unfortunately learned that most of the people I knew to be identifying themselves as black men who were in that group, I didn't get to know in part because I associated them in terms of like on a meaningful level of getting to know someone. I associated getting to know anyone who was a part of that group with putting myself in a kind of, I don't know, not danger, but a kind of vulnerability that already felt like inviting myself to be harmed. And in what, in ways I was already familiar with from diverse backgrounds, including black men, but not, not a majority treatment from black men, but really white men who might've been interested in me, who I learned actually have certain kinds of exotic fetishes that they think I'm going to help them discover. And so I think while I was learning what it meant to find that gay spaces in the college communities near, near me were mainly made for cisgender, homosexual men or gay identified men really didn't include people of color, women identified, trans identified, non-binary identified people at the same time that it didn't seem to be a place I was going to make friends on a just how are we going through college life and what is it like to befriend people from diverse backgrounds, even if we might all be attending this group that are meant for black men or attending the Black Students League meant to be a place for black folk to have community with each other that's supported by the institution. Even that's rare. So did you, and you're not obligated to do this, but I'm wondering if you ever gave this feedback to the university or to these groups, maybe, you know, now that you're an alum and like several years removed from it, because this is Mm -hmm. really important. Um, This idea of, I just say it because we just, uh, we talk about this a lot of, paying lip service to the diversity of the black community. But then when we set up organizations, teams, social networks that like sieve out people, what we're really saying is that there is only one way to be black. There's only one acceptable way to be black. While we want to be like, yeah, you know, we are all great. Um, And I think, um, your experience really highlights how both the Afri- both like the Black American and African American communities could do better and not ostracizing people who do belong to our community. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder mm-hmm. about that person who told you whether they were trying to tell you to like warn you or if they like mm-hmm. you know whether it was a like dude this is not going to be your type mm-hmm. of trying to make sure he doesn't join. Yeah. Or or somebody who really was just like, not nah, we don't want you here, and so I'm trying to give you the language to want you know of why. Um, and mm-hmm. at the same time, this is like eighteen, nine year olds. So like, yes, they're in college, but they're. I mean, people leave PhD programs and are not fully evolved individuals. Um, so, but it's just a really important. Yeah. 
I have shared my, I've shared ample feedback with my alma mater and I am, I'm always glad to ask current students and more recent alumni about their experiences. In my case, I was very, very care for me in the college community among students. I often felt like my sexual orientation was much more of a source of conflict and discrimination than overtly my own racial and ethnic background. But I attribute that to how I took, I took a major course of study with a diverse group of faculty in the religion department. I decided to take courses at the colleges in the consortium, and I wasn't only with this group of 296 students for four years. I really moved around in a lot of different academic spaces, and the same was true of being involved in student government. So the ways I felt belonging, if that's a now frame of reference with Shea in higher ed, my belonging had nothing to do with this institution's efforts to make me feel like I've been included and that I belong on the basis of race or on the basis of ethnicity. This was about other people, other peers, and my own willingness to like meet people and, and learn, okay, these people don't like me for these reasons, whether they've said it to my face or they've just stopped, stopped talking to me, or I've learned because social media was a vibrant way for people to like say shady things directly and indirectly. Mm-hmm. And, anonymous confession board called the ACBs. It was like a 90s style interface, but it was a place that people would anonymously talk shit about people by name. What? All the time. And I... Like, be a boo-boo kid in your bus thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to say I never saw something like that, but I think the sentiment is far away. Wow. My question to you then is, you know, as you're talking about this experience um, and I think allyship, and you did talk about how there are common threads with like, like, there's some common threads with your experience and that of some other people. I think about mine, um, in our college, like transfer students are very few, but I do have a friend who I met later on, who you know, but we ain't got to say her name. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a transfer, and so she was just talking about how different her experience was as a transfer student. Like for mm-hmm. me, I came in my first year, I did a program two weeks early. The friends that I did that program with, I have gone to their weddings. I have pictures of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, it is the friendships that I made in college were so formative because we got in early. Um, And so she talked about, you know, she has explained how different it is when you don't do that. And when you come in in the spring semester and you've already, you know, you're you're two years into the college experience as opposed to starting afresh with being on the same level everybody that you graduated with. And it's something I still think about in terms of like how, because I was, I felt blindsided. Blindsided, but you know it makes you check your privilege and realize that oh, mm-hmm. it is actually a sort of privilege to have been able to go at the time that I went, um, and to get 
the fullness of the college experience because of that. And I think, you know, the ost- it's not the same kind of ostracization, but she was a bit removed from, like, the general working flow and friendship groups because mm-hmm. she came in at a different time. And it... Let me land. I am going to land. is <laughs> 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 is you know, it's, 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 it's in dissension. We're going to get to the airport. But just mm-hmm. what's your advice to... African dot Americans or to just people in the black community, I guess, in general, about how we can be our allies. Like I talk to my friend and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is great and the friendships and the things like that in my experience. And you go, Oh, okay, well tell me more. How do I understand that? But like what how can we be better? Um, I know we talked about it earlier, being like racking our brains trying to find people that we know who are black and LGBTQ. I know they exist. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, even based on your experience, right, there are probably people who are reticent to share that aspect of themselves with other Mm -hmm. people because of bad experiences that they had. But I know that there are people like me, well-meaning, gosh, it's not like those well-meaning white people, well-meaning people, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they're going to go and adopt that child in Ethiopia and bring him home and just show him (laughs) Yeah, you know, there are people like me who I think if we were aware mm. of how subtle and not so subtle and rough things can be, that we would be doing our best to fix that. Um, so I know it's a big question, but like how how can we do that? Um, mm. I think this is one of the most important and profound questions, even if it's posed more broadly to anyone who's seeking to understand how might I meet people and unlearn or for a moment set aside the assumptions I hold and get to know someone, allowing them to help me understand how they think of themselves. Whether that's because they're going to be a colleague in the workplace or they're going to be someone that, let's say I've met on Tinder and I'm going on a date with and I'm hoping there might be a certain way that we get to know each other or we become to each other in our lives or any, anyone else, strangers even. I think that I'll, I can speak about the advice I have for anyone who's listening in terms of what I've tried to do for myself. And I think as I learned a lot of vocabulary in college for understanding structures of domination and structures of oppression in many different contexts, I've learned, okay, there are ways to talk about what I've been taught to believe and do and think and act that I should try to unlearn as habits so that I can form different habits. And one of those habits might be to rather than assume every person is either a man or a woman and is sexually interested in other people in a heterosexual way, I need to unlearn each part of that woven thread. So I need to not assume that the way I read someone's appearance is they must be a man, they must be a woman, and they might have their own way of identifying themselves. Mm-hmm. I need to 
not assume that every person has sexual interest in other people. There are people who identify as asexual and there are other ways of talking about sexuality that are more, that are complex as well. So I need to not assume that simply because I might have sexual attraction to other people, that that's not something everyone else holds for others and and toward me. At the same time, I shouldn't assume that if anyone has sexual attraction, that their sexual attraction is heteronormative. So if I'm a man, I'm only going to be interested in a woman. Or if I'm a woman, I'm only going to be interested in a man. And frankly, a, a kind of shorthand way that I like to talk about this is I just assume everyone's queer identified until or if they want to tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that fairly well both in terms of the kinds of questions I feel I can ask that are more open-ended. Like if I'm meeting someone in a context where like I know they're interested in me because they asked me out on a date or, or we've connected in some kind of way. My question is why are you interested in me? This is not about anyone else. This is about what they might be, what they might see in me, or what they might glimpse of me, and what they want to understand about me. And that might be true of of how I go about meeting anyone else in a romantic context. But I think the same is true for if I take my shorthand way of everyone's queer identified unless or if they want to tell me otherwise. Then if I assume, if I like to just generally assume that anyone might be an LGBTQ identified person then I'm less likely to ask a few questions that show I'm assuming that I understand who they are or how I am reading them as people. And that maybe give anyone who's not being asked, who's your girlfriend? Or mm. uh, why, why, how is it being a man at that workplace? Or oh, when was your last breakup? Like those kinds of questions that convey... I already have a sense of understanding someone, even if I don't understand them at all. I also think that if I specify my thinking in any way for people who are African-American listeners, I might hopefully be one more voice to remind people that in the same way African histories and peoples and lineages are beautifully diverse, so too are our life experiences. So what passport we hold, what language or languages we speak, and what religious background we may have grown up in or may identify with as adults, whatever our answers to those questions might be, there isn't a lot that really can be assumed forward from those answers. So if I'm meeting someone for the first time and they think, they suspect I'm Ethiopian, and sometimes that happens, or they, they suspect I'm from the continent, I have African, I'm African family, then our conversations that might be about, like, I, I grew up in the U.S. in this one place, well, this one place in, in the suburb of Seattle doesn't mean my life experience is the same as this one other person that they met once upon a time who's from a Nigerian background and grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. It just it just can't be assumed that <laughs> sorry, you said Silver Spring. It's like the Ethiopian metropolis, so uh, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the same way that I mean I love to read. So if I'm talking to somebody who who's talked about liking the experience of reading, I like to say in the same way that we might start to 
create illustrations in our mind of where a story is going, we might and we may not be able to escape that that same kind of illustration happens in our mind when we meet people in real life. But rather than foreclose the kind of imagination and illustration in our mind by asking a question that only paints one kind of story, why don't we ask the question that gets at the heart of what we really want to know about them? rather than the tiptoeing around the things we want to assume we know to like eliminate some awkwardness or discomfort. No, no lie. Like I'm socially awkward. Totally fine with that. But how can we move past the discomforts we might feel trying to take comfort in the things we think we can assume in order to feel like we know how to participate in the conversation, but instead ask someone, what are you trying to do in your life right now? What was the last most difficult conversation you had to be a part of? I mean, these aren't questions I'm going to ask a stranger, but maybe these are the kinds of questions that I can ask people I want to get to know on a meaningful level that let them talk about however and whatever they want rather than me pigeonholing them in some kind of way that actually shuts down any kind of connection we might be forging. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. And as you're talking, I'm sort of thinking about you know, my different moments in life where I've, def- where I've, you know, assumed that someone was Mexican and all that kind of stuff. I've definitely had those, but just, you know, I've met colleagues and assumed that they were hetero. Um, mm-hmm. And then later found out they're gay and, and feel bad because I was like, oh, your wife, you know, they may say my partner and I, you know, I'm not picking up the cues. I'm like, oh, your wife and And then it turns out that they have a very different family structure than I thought or, um, I think it's really good advice that goes across a lot of things, or even friends, I think, for backgrounds. I've definitely had an African friend who's like an atheist, and I said, but you're African. Mm. <laughs> right? You really... <laughs> but you're African, and, and, and really having trouble processing that because it's not something that I understood to be standard in the community, but really... Um, so there's lots of work to be, I, I, didn't, I don't think that way anymore, but I'm just saying it was younger, but um, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be done to curb the assumptions that we make. And it's really hard as you are. I know I sound like one of those self-apologetic white people again, but it's really hard <laughs> to. And has a self-apologetic white person said, oh no, I'm sounding like a self-apologetic white person. I don't think you're the same. <laughs> You know it's bad when you start off with that, right? Like, I'm not racist, but it's so hard to to take yourself out of that comfort zone to start to think outside of the box because it's human nature. We put people in boxes and categories because that's how we make, that's how babies even make sense of the world, right? Like, okay, you're, you know, okay, you're a brown skinned man with curly hair and like a colorful scarf. You're Mexican. That's what makes him and your name is Josue, and now you have, like, this whole family history that I didn't make, you know, that you didn't tell me, but I put it because mm-hmm. that's, like, and that's what makes sense. Or you are African, and you have, you know, you grew up in Africa, you have African parents, you're atheists, that, that you, you know, you are, you're Muslim, or you're Christian, or maybe you are, like, a traditional African religion, but you have one, because... Mm-hmm. That's how I make sense of the world, and that's what Africans are supposed to have. Or like you said, even for gender, right? Like there are a lot of people who are identify as they, them. Um, but, you know, I think the, the initial, for lack of a better, I don't know, like people's initial reaction is, right, oh, you're a gay woman. That's why you're dressed like that. He's clearly, this is, this is a gay man. Um, rather than sort of being like, hi, how are you? 
who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? And then going from there. Um, so it's Terry. Yeah, it's Terry Gross who says, "Tell me your story." Right? Isn't that what Terry Gross says? Yeah. Tell me about well, you know, we don't all have that beautiful, smooth, Terry, you know, soothing Terry Gross. <laughs> Let's see how, if I, if I, if I think about it very intentionally, I would say, tell me about yourself. Yeah. That's the closest I can get. <laughs> right? And that's so job interview like, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate to tell me about yourself story because that, you know, question in that sense, because it keeps me in like, well, I'm a seven years and, and I, you know what I mean? You start doing the like robotic interview answer as opposed to the real. But yeah, mm. this idea, I'm, st- I'm thinking and talking about it out loud of like, yeah, how would it be to assume everybody was gay instead of straight? And see how that changes the way that I even ask questions, right? It does. It's it's so true. It's like if you assume that the minority is the majority, and I not and I we talk about that a bit because we come from a place where like black people I don't know if we're a minority or not, but we are like we don't come, but Maryland is a place that really has a lot mm-hmm. of black people. Yeah. And so there are things that we have that were defaults. But once we went to college at PWIs and as we've like worked in like majority white spaces, you go, oh, Mm. these people have very different um, uh, defaults for the assumptions that they're making. And it is because they are not from a space where being black means, okay, for lack of a better word, more positive things um, than it might be. Um, place, other places in the U.S., right, where the strat, the social economic stratification is more clearly seen, and you don't have as vibrant a like middle class black community. But now, mm. um, but thank you so much, Joshua, for talking to us. There's so many. For thank you for sharing this experience. I think mm. it's not one that we have, obviously, um, and it's an important one to share with other people. Um, it's important check to our privileges. Um, and just, I think a really helpful way to help us think about how we can do better in terms of being inclusive with people, both consciously and also checking some of these unconscious biases and actions that we have mm-hmm. that are alienating people in ways that we, as a like heterosexual majority, as like people from African backgrounds in particular and all the like cultural entanglements that come with that, that we should be like thinking about trying to dismantle. I've appreciated the chance to chat with you all about this. And I think that the example you mentioned earlier about uh, assuming a colleague's partner was a, a husband or a wife and then feeling like, Oh no, I, why did I assume that? I think examples of that, that we think about in our, in our heads, those moments are so valuable because when we, if we choose to talk about them with other people, or even if we, if we say this out loud and then we learn through being corrected that we're wrong, rather than those moments that can be shameful and that can be awkward, they're powerful ways to learn that none of us are familiar with everyone. None of us is familiar with all of the lives that people live and all of the histories that people are born with. So there are lots of potential occasions to learn and to act differently because we choose to have conversations that 
at least from a distance in this time zone, it seems like in a U.S. metropolitan environment, people are often unwilling to peacefully and with an open ear actually have dialogue um, on, on many issues, and that's a shame. But I think that if, if we have conversations like this and if folks have conversations like this with you about African-American lives and experiences, this makes all the difference because people who listen here, oh, this is what people can talk about, so much so they're willing to talk about it for an audience of whoever wants to listen. And maybe maybe that's what then helps people learn how to have those conversations in their lives with people they care about. Yeah, that's the goal. Well, this has actually got me thinking about growing up in Ghana and how how although it was a word for um, for folks who who like to have sexual experiences with with um, with women or a woman who like to have sexual experiences with women, how there was a name for it, but there wasn't actually a name for identifying as gay or lesbian. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you you have in Ghana like mostly southern um, southern Ghana and within the colleges, there's a word supi supi. And it's, it's, it's in reference to, it's not the identity itself, but it's kind of the sexual practice amongst folks of the same sex. And it's so interesting how there's a word for that, but, and there's this kind of tacit understanding that it exists, but we're so uncomfortable talking about it. And it's, it's interesting how in all of that, in all of how, how we talk about these things in our homes, how we talk about these things growing up in school, how in a way it's happening, but it, we try to remove ourselves from it. Well, I think some people would argue that it's because tradition, like, I haven't read a ton about it, but if you look at traditional communities, and I'd probably argue even in the Middle East, right, there is... I think sometimes we're trying to fit the American framework on, on mm. in cultures that are not right. It's yeah. just it's race, right? Like um, being black in America, uh, not as many privileges as being black in the being a black American in the UAE. Because when you flash that passport, lives change, and I've seen it. Because you know, I get read one way, and once I know I'm American, completely different treatment. I've literally had someone take their pick up their chair and move it closer to me people who were hostile before once they find out that i'm american and i think that what makes sort of like lgbtq discussions a little tough is that we come a lot of other communities have this kind of i won't say ambivalent but they have like, like you said like in ghana right there's a word for it it's acknowledged that it happens mm-hmm. and so it's something that happens in communities but they're not necessarily going to have gay pride parades right yeah. like that's probably not going to happen in, in, in Ghana in the next 10 to 15 years. And there are a lot of different kinds of reasons for that. Um, but the default attitude is not necessarily the kind of like Western homophobic default attitude. Or at least that's the way that I kind of see it too. I see it in the Sierra Leone community. There are people who are gay and people say it. Mm-hmm. You know, those are some of the time here as a kid oh uncle so-and-so he's a gay a gay right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but people acknowledge it you know like people go oh i mean you know there's acknowledgement in the community but again at the same time they're not 
like sending holiday cards with their gay families. Um, mm. so it's very much like, right, we know that they do that in private, like, oh, he's dating a woman or he's going to marry a woman, but don't, ain't he gay? Don't we all, don't we all, do we all, uh, agree like 20 years ago back mm. in our African country X that he was gay. Um, so there, it's a weird kind of, uh, tango or dance that, that, that's mm. because I do, I don't think a homophobia is exclusively a Western prerogative, but I think it's hard to disentangle that now because colonialism came in and I think it yeah. it complicated our understandings of a lot of different things, um, including mm. sexual identity and sexual orientation. Mm. I definitely have had, you know, have arguments with Africans who are like, it's not natural, it never happened before this and that. And you're like, girl, I mean, you're all like, cultural his like it it does like why soupy soupy is not a word that europeans soupy soupy is not a word of french origin mm-hmm. it's, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's a Korean concept yeah um so yeah you're making me think that if 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 this hasn't come up yet that what diverse views African Americans have on monogamy, polyamory, <laughs> etc. Maybe that's a whole different. Maybe quite the dialogue. Right? <laughs> we have talked about it a little bit, right? Like we, uh, we, we did, did talk about community brain resources about, yeah. and some things, but yeah, no, that's it, that suitcase has a lot to unpack in there. It's yeah, definitely overweight and not able to fly on the plane. We got to open it up and figure it out. <laughs> I will say there are some, I hear anyway that CNN, MSNBC, oh my gosh, what's her name? Katie Kirk is doing all these sorts of specials on all these sorts of things she doesn't know anything about and going in is that self-apologetic way, well, meaning white woman who's like, what is that? So I'm, I'm hearing that African parents are hearing new vocabulary on these programs and then they're going to the younger generation saying, what is this polyamory? That's great. Are any of your friends they, this? They must be away from this. What cast this out? I've definitely had that conversation with Vi Bob. Be like, "Mommy, do you understand what polyamorous is? Do you know what an open relationship is?" And she's like, "No." And then I explain it, and she's like, "Oh, that's a lot of stuff." All right, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. Let's move on. Yeah, she's like, "Oh." Uh-huh. So it is good. You know, we're, we're opening the hearts and the minds of the aunties and uncles. And again, I think they do have some of those concepts, right, where they come from. Yeah. Um, but it's like the American context complicates it a little and trying to get them to understand. But like, yeah, you can be like, all right, mommy, it's like soupy soupy. Hmm. And then she might. <laughs> <laughs> then the question becomes, well, well, soupy soupy, nobody has like a parade in a whole month. Um <laughs> X, Y, Z, and it goes, okay, let me go back to the drawing board with how I want to, like, explain the connections there and the parallels without making it, you know, definitively, it is like this or it is like that. Um, what is it? What does it mean for, I, 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 this is not my experience, but I know someone who, who is in a polyamorous, polyamorous relationship with a primary partner who works for, Google or Facebook or Amazon, I'll just make it broad. <laughs> and the idea to her African parents that her employer pays money to have a, a celebration at one of these parades in the city where the office is. It's for the most 
mind-bursting ideas ever. Like, why would your company pay this? They should pay you. Pay you money. Why are they doing this kind of charade party for children? This is doesn't make any sense. I think I know African parents who are like, why, why do they pay you to go celebrate being Black, right? You know, of all these kind of affinity groups. So why are you having a party? To celebrate that you're Black. But you know that you're black. Everybody knows that. Again, they should take that party money, give everybody a bonus, then mm. you celebrate how you want to. <laughs> <laughs> there is some logic to those those kinds of responses. I I, I will admit there. I mean, why not believe God? Why not believe God? It's about like what you lean on and what's important and what's not important and priorities and like how it makes sense to like not waste money. I think I can see it like looking as a wasteful thing. So you guys are going to go yell yay and wave a flag. Mm-hmm. And like, wouldn't it be better to have extra $500 to go and buy <laughs> home? Like, buy home. Pay right. for your siblings X, Y, or Z. Take exactly. them on whatever. Oh, yeah. Your mama needs a new pair of shoes. Father's Day is coming up. We need Amazon Echo, or we need the, what's her name? Not her name, but you know the AI. Alexa. Alexa, Alexa thank Alexa. you. <laughs> yeah, no. There's there's a lot to unpack in that and uh hopefully we'll we'll continue to dig through through um future episodes. But again, uh wonderful chatting with you, Josh. Thank, Thank you, you so much, so much for all these like, chat with y'all. Really good nugget. That's our show for today. Like what you heard? I have an idea on a topic you'd like African.American to discuss. Would you potentially like to be featured in our spotlight section? Let us know. You can email us at African.American spelled out. African.dotamerican at gmail.com. See you later. Yeah.